Andrew, I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Um, I would like to take a minute as we open in prayer uh, to remember Marysville Polchuk High School and all the stuff that's going on up there and would ask specifically, uh, if you're part of this church, you may know some of the names of the other churches. We're friends with churches that are right there in Marysville and Snohomish, uh, Restoration Road and uh, Damascus Road right up there. And just ask this week that you'd be really praying for those guys as they're ministering in their community in the midst of this horrible tragedy. Uh, it seems silly to like get up and pretend there's not weird stuff happening in our region when it is, when we know Jesus and can actually talk to him about these things. So we'll open in prayer, and I'll, I'll pray for, for that situation while we do so. Uh, King Jesus, we just pray for Marysville right now. We pray for, um, we pray for everyone involved. We pray your grace and your mercy and your comfort. Uh, we pray for people fighting for their own lives right now, that you would heal, that you would move, and that your name would be glorified by your grace and your mercy. Pray for um, just all the different people affected by this. Pray for our brothers and sisters at Damascus Road and Restoration Road. Pray you would help them to be light in the darkness and minister in their communities now. And just pray your whole grace and mercy on, uh, on that situation. Uh, Lord, as we come to your word, as we come to a difficult text today, Lord God, I, I pray your mercy both on me and on this church that we would hear your words and we would hear them in the context in, the, in which you've meant them for us to hear. Though it is a hard word, it is a word that you meant to encourage us. And I pray we would be encouraged by the reality of the gospel today. We would be encouraged by the reality that you loved us first. We've done nothing to earn your love. We've done nothing to get to you. But you came down, Jesus, and got to us. You lived the life we were supposed to live. You died in our place, and you've given us life. Help us to remember that the gospel is that our sin has been paid for, but that we've been given life and life in abundance with you forever. And we did nothing to earn it, but it is all grace to us uh, as we approach this text. Help me, Jesus. Whatever's just of me may be forgotten, but what is of you, Lord, I pray that it would just be right there in front and center in our lives. Jesus, we just want to just confess our need for you and our empty-handedness before you. Please, Lord, bless our time together. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, okay, so we've been working our way through John's gospel in chapters 14 through 17, which is Jesus' last address to his people on the way to the cross. We're going to be in chapter 15 at the end on to 16 today. Um, and as we've approached this text, we've heard Jesus' last words that almost read kind of like a doctrine statement. And it's been very important for us to look at it and see what Jesus has for us as the church and what we are to believe together right out of Jesus' mouth, because it's more interesting and better, in fact, to preach out of the Bible than, say, the doctrine statement of the church. But it's always important that we're on the same page together, because we believe being part of a church is taking responsibility for that church, and that church taking responsibility for you. And, and so together, we need to know what Jesus says for us to believe and what the Bible has for us. And today, we're believing Jesus, we call it Believe Jesus, Believe Jesus about the church. And really today, we're believing Jesus. We're looking at what Jesus has to say about the church's life in the world and the witness of the church as we exist even in hostile territory and we exist where there is heat in our lives. Now, this is what I love about line-by-line -line teaching. If I was going to pick the text to talk about the church, this is not the text I would have picked. Jesus says the word hate like 15 times in the paragraph. But I believe in line-by-line -line preaching because it brings us and draws us to places as we work our way through the Bible that brings us to even uncomfortable places such as this. So here we are. We'll be starting in chapter 15 uh, in verse 18. And this is pertinent for us because last week we talked about Jesus' love for us and how Jesus' love for us uh, results in our love for one another. And today we're going to talk about the world's hatred 
of Jesus, and he uses the word hate. Can't avoid it in the text. And as a result, the world's hatred of the church. Uh, and today we're going to look in that about the purity and the proclamation of the church, the witness that we have, the message that we share, and the reality that if we live in Seattle and love Jesus, uh, in many ways our lives look like every other Seattleite. Right? We eat hot pot donuts and we go to QFC and we drive a Prius. Uh, and at the same time, our life is radically different. Right? And, and, and we want to we walk in both of those things. It is fine to be a Seattleite inasmuch as we retain the purity of the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, inasmuch as we are containers for the proclamation that Jesus saves sinners from death to life, and there's life in abundance, and that life comes from Jesus alone, and he will save you, and you cannot earn it, and he's the one that does it, and God is standing with open arms, ready to receive anyone who would turn from their sin and turn to him and be loved by God. That's the gospel. That's the message we bring. We can't obscure it, we can't hide it, we can't veil it. Or, honestly, we're just not being loving to the city at that point in time. Uh, and at the same time, we live lives that are similar and, and different. And, and particularly as we talk about this idea of hate, this is so important. We live in a time and a place where you go into the Waffle House, uh, we, you eat the waffle, and the waffle is horrible. And, and we feel this almost like obligation to come out and pull out our telephone, of all things, to tell the world on Yelp, as the Yelp generation, that the waffle at the Waffle House is horrible and say things we would never say to the waffle chef looking him right in the eye. Waffles, yes, now people do that with Jesus and the church and his people, and they just lay it on there. And you could spend the rest of your life reading people saying horrible things about the Bible and horrible things about the gospel if you just turn on your telephone and read the internet over and over and over again. There is no end to it. It is there. And sometimes we feel the heat from that. Not only that, we live in a time and a place where there are Christians losing their cake shops or t-shirt shops or whatever it might be because they say they believe the Bible. Right? The heat is on. But in all of that, we need to be very careful. It doesn't become some weird, some weird culture war. It's not new. It's old. Jesus said, they did it to me first, and they're going to do it to you too. But in all that, we can't miss the gospel. If it becomes us versus them, or us trying to win something, we miss the fact that our job is to carry the message that Jesus came, that Jesus saved, and that Jesus brings life, and that Jesus is light. And that ours is a message of love. Though they rejected him, and he says here today they're going to reject you too. Let's go ahead and dig in. Verse 18, chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now in the fancy pants grammar underneath here, uh, if you were to translate this idiomatically, by that I mean if you were to translate it in a way that's just, just clear, uh, and it's meaning not just the, the literal words, we use a word-for-word -word Bible. In the Greek, the word here, if, is if. But this is what's called, and here we go, a fourth-class conditional sentence, which means it's just assumed that this is going to happen. So idiomatically, by that I mean translating out, you can say, when the world hates you. Has anyone ever disliked you because you're a Christian? That's a fact of my life. That's something, if you get saved living in Seattle, you just know that's the cost of discipleship. People in your home, you know, I have a friend in my home, six weeks into the gospel, sitting down, eating my food, hanging out at my house, says, oh, you're a Christian, so does that mean, and just wailing, so this means you hate these people, and you hate these people, and you think this, and you think this, and you think this. I'm like, man, 
you're eating my burrito at my house. Can we at least talk about it? But if the world hates you, when the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So he's going to use the word hate. Like I said, like I didn't count them, but it's a lot. It's like every verse, every other verse, a couple of times. This is actually meant uh, not to get us fired up for a culture warfare, but us to, to find strength and encouragement in Jesus in the midst of heat. Of heat. So we respond differently. If you were of the world, if you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. Okay? So if, you, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, know that the world would love you as its own. So we need to look at a couple of things here. One, what does John mean when he says world? This word's a funny word because it can mean a lot of different things. It can mean mankind, humankind. It can mean the actual globe, the world. But in John's gospel, very, very, very consistently and almost exclusively, when John says world, so if you're reading 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, John's gospel, the book of Revelation, those are all written by John, he uses the meaning world that means all the systems and everything and everyone that is organized against God. Now, why is this important? What gospel are we in? John, it's on your Bible if you've got your Bible open. We're in John's gospel. What's the football verse? It's football season, right? Somebody's, yeah. Somebody is listening today, and I appreciate that. What do they hold up in the end zone? John 3, 16. John so, or God, John. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Don't forget that when we're talking about the world hating us. The, the, the approach of God to that world, those people and those systems that are organized against God and ultimately his people, that God so loved those people who are operating against him that he sent his son to save them from themselves. Right? This isn't where we build a wall and say, keep out. This is where we point to the cross and say, come on in. Come on in. Whilst people are making fun of us. Student at SU, I was in the theology program. You're in class with a bunch of students. I don't know if anyone goes to SU here, but you're in class with a bunch of students, and it turns out evangelicals are not the number one uh, student body people at SU, right? Right on Capitol Hill. And I'd be in class, and they'd, they'd see me, and they'd say, well, you know, what the Bible says here is this. And people actually hunt me down after class and say, so wait, wait, wait. And mind you, I was, I was much younger then. Um, oh, so, so you're under 30. You've got tattoos, which for some reason that's the test of unorthodoxy. Unorthodoxy? The unorthodox test, right? So I don't get it. So you believe like the Bible Bible? Yeah, yeah, like the Bible Bible. The, the Bible, yeah, the book, the Biblion, the book. Yeah, I believe it. Oh, but like, don't you like live in Seattle? Yes, I live in Seattle and believe the Bible. I know there's not a lot of us, but that's the reality, right? And you lovingly then talk to people and share the gospel. Um, but here's the reality. If you go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, verses 14 through 16 say this. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. There is therefore now no condemnation, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, we go in triumphal procession behind Jesus, who has conquered Satan and sin and death, and is putting the world back the way it's supposed to be, who will wipe every tear from every eye, and we're just on the bandwagon following that guy and every awesome thing that Jesus has done. He leads us in triumphal procession. Right now, you go to work tomorrow uh, to program your computer, whatever that means, 
or to do something with a hammer and some nails, or, or, or you, you, you school your kids, or you take your kids to school, or you do your play or whatever. You are being led in the giant parade with Jesus as the parade leader, the one who has beaten Satan's sin and death, the one who has brought life, the one who has paid for our sins, the one who has given us life forever. We, right now, are sitting. Well, I'm standing, you're sitting, except for a baby. He's leading us in triumphal procession. We leave here led in triumphal procession. That, that's the reality of the gospel. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. To one the fragrance from death to death, the other from fragrance to life to life. And we need to be humble in that. Why? Who is sufficient for these things? Not me, not you, only Jesus. And yet we're invited into the party. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak Christ. I can't say this enough. I could say this every Sunday and it would still stand true. There are people who don't know Jesus in your life that I can't get to who won't come on a Sunday and you interact with. There are people that God, in his sovereign grace and mercy, has sent you to, Anchor Church. Sent you to. Tell them about the love of God in Christ Jesus. And sometimes that's the aroma of life. And sometimes people are at your house eating burritos and it's the aroma of death. Verse 19. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. 2014. Maybe it's I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm exposed to pastory things and what pastors are up to around the country. And I have pastor friends in, you know, New York and Texas and Scotland and wherever. And I've got, I know people places just because you meet them and it's cool. I rarely heard the person who stopped and asked this question. Go with me to Luke's gospel. Here's this. Luke's gospel, Jesus says this. In uh, chapter... We're in 7 and 22. 6 and 22. Blessed are you. Nope, 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Not usually the typical response, by the way. And that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, so for their fathers did to the prophets. That's how the people of God had been treated. That's how the faithful had been treated. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all the people speak. And these are red letters, by the way. These are Jesus' words. I might add. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer also the other. And from the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. I've never heard the guy say, hey, we got an ad in the front of the paper, and everyone thinks our church is awesome. Can you guys check what we're doing and make sure, make sure we're doing it God's way? Never heard that. Never heard that, Pastor. It's always, we got on the front, but everyone loves us. They're speaking well of us. Yay! And it's good. We do want people to speak well of us at times. It's not that you want to, like, spit in people's eye and be rude, right? Like, 
You're not trying to get hated, per se. But we need to be careful. James chapter 4, verse 1 says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, And mind you, James is right in the church folk. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Here's James, right? Writing to his church. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay, back to John. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Now, now Jesus is making an assumption here. If you're a Christian, you're not living of the world. Your life is distinguishable and distinct. Now, James, of course, assumes that we can get off track there. We can. You can, I can. We can all get off track. But Jesus is assuming that what is expected of our response to the gospel is something different than what the world offers. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Uh, I think we need to be very careful. Um, we can spend a lot of time, Thai toppers, urbanites, Mahichong, trying to convince people we're not that kind of Christian. Well, yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not that kind of Christian. Maybe said that. Well, oh, oh, you're not one of those kinds of Christians. By that, you mean some caricature of someone you've never actually met. I grew up in Washington. You might be from somewhere else where these people kind of exist. You know, sort of pharisaical and nasty and hateful, and, and God's always angry at everybody all the time, even when you're singing, Jesus loves me. Yeah, I'm not that kind of Christian. But you mean, I believe every word of the Bible. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that there's nothing better in the world for someone than for someone to become a Christian. Uh, that I believe that I'm broken and so are you and we both need a Savior and His name is Jesus. If you mean that kind of Christian, yes, I'm indeed that kind of Christian. But often when I've seen this, it's, it's people trying to prove, well, I will distance myself from the parts of the Bible that make people in the world uncomfortable. And those are kind of whatever's popular at the moment. But honestly, at the end of the day, the view that God became a man and enters into human history and he's the way to God, that's been unpopular for, say, oh, I don't know. What year is it? You know, it's 33, 39, depend on the scholars. About 2,000 years. That view has not been popular. It's always been criticized. There's always been someone who has not liked that particular view. It's called biblical orthodoxy. So what does this mean for us then? If, if James is warning us and Jesus is assuming and even Jesus saying, woe to you when they speak well of you, uh, I think there's two things we need to walk out, watch out for. How do, we not, how do we not do this then? How do we not be of the world? We're supposed to be in the world and not of the world. It's been observed by uh, Ed Stetzer. who always says funny and clever things. A brilliant guy. Our problem right now is oftentimes as Christians, we're, we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. But often we're of the world and not in the world. So we're after all the same things that the world's after. We're after power, success, or fame, or fortune, or making Sunday look like a U2 concert. It's true. You ever been in that thing? It looks like, wow, Bono coming out next? 
You know, we're in the arms race of the production battle with you 2 which, by the way, you 2 will always win. And no one ever comes into a church and says, oh, it's like a U2 concert. Jesus really did raise from the dead. <laughs> of the world, but not in the world. Because then we cull everything off and actually don't go out on mission. Right? Things we need to be careful of. We don't want to walk arm in arm with the world. Remember? Proclamation and purity. So we walk arm in arm with the world. Uh, sometimes we're trying to be not that kind of Christian. We gang up with the world and say, yeah, get those Christians. Those Christians are horrible. That guy on TBN and his gold throne, you're right. And we take some in-house arguments and we take them out into the world. And also we just walk arm in arm with the world and we just use the world's methods. Money, power, relationships, fame, fortune, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden, whatever we're doing might have like a Jesus bumper sticker fish on it, but it's indistinguishable other than the fact that your business has the eye dotted with the fish. And you know what? Sometimes, man, I get it. You're a plumber. You love Jesus. You put that fish on your truck, and you love people. You do it. You just need to know if you put that bumper sticker fish on your work truck, which you are free in Christ to do and is a good thing to do, you just got to know you're walking in, which means if you screw up, you got to fix it. If you mess up, you got to say you're sorry, and you got to work darn hard, and they shouldn't find you napping. Okay? If you are that plumber or other fill-in-the-blank. Let's keep going. Remember. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This word persecute, this word back here, it has a couple of meanings. One is, is an obvious meaning that we have in the English, and that's simply that people are harassed or harangued for the things they believe, particularly of a faith or religious base. That's an old Greek meaning of the word. It's not indicative to Christians alone. Uh, but this other word, the other part of this word means to like run down, to chase, to get after to keep going, to get after, right? Which happened to the early church a ton. It wasn't enough to just get them out of the city. They had to get them out of the country, too. But we should know that if it happened to Jesus, mind you, this is supposed to be encouraging. If it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to us. Remember the world. The word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word... They will also keep yours. Right? We see this in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We see this in Ezekiel chapter 3. We see this in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3. The, the default is when we say, this is what this says. That doesn't have the weight of Andrew. That has the weight of the Bible. Right? Even the apostles, right? They're not infallible. Peter screws up in Galatia. He won't hang out with the Gentiles. And Paul, which would be a weird scene, you know, when you read the Bible, you're like, this is a weird idea, right? Paul goes up and rebukes Peter in front of everybody because they're both apostles. He says, or maybe not in front of everybody. It may have been private. I don't know. But he still rebukes him. He still writes it in Galatians, and we have it, right? Peter, you're not eating with the Gentiles. They're our brothers. Why not? Oh, you don't like these other guys that think they're not circumcised, so you can't have a sandwich with them because they're not circumcised. And he calls them out on it, right? So Peter's not infallible. So, you know, 
Peter's opinion on whether Conway Twitty or George Jones uh, are the greatest male country singer uh, of the 1970s does not have scriptural weight. Now, he wasn't alive in the 70s, but in my mind, these are the kinds of things that happen in heaven. You have these kinds of debates and conversations. I'm probably wrong on that, by the way. But what we have in Scripture that Peter said stands. Right? So when you say, Conway Twitty's the best, and I say, you're wrong, George Jones is the best, that is what it is. When you say, Jesus saved sinners, that's got power. When you tell the truth of the Bible, aroma of life to life, there's power. And now everyone's like, I have to leave and figure out what he is talking about, because who are these people? It doesn't matter, and that's why I said it. But all these things they will do on account of my name. My name. Most of us are Gentiles. Maybe even all of us are Gentiles. And there's stuff that we miss that kind of blows past us. Right? You might not. You might come from a Jewish background if you're here and you don't know Jesus. I'm glad to introduce you to the Messiah. And if you are here and you got saved out of that, hey, awesome. But as Gentiles, we miss something. There's a weight when Jesus says my name. Uh, today, Jewish folks have regarded the, the name of God, the tetrachrome, I'm not even going to try it, it's too early in the morning, the four letters that spell the proper name of God, they don't even say it, right? So they say yod heh vav heh, which is how you spell it. They say Adonai, which means the Lord. It's classic use of the holiness of God. Uh, you might say Elohim, which means God, like we say God, you know, uh, but not the proper name. You know what else they call him? Hashem. You know what Hashem means? The name. The name of God is regarded in such holiness, in such purity, that when Jesus seems to be saying, he seems to be invoking an Old Testament image and saying, by the way, I'm God. By the way, I'm God. God the Father's God. I'm God. The Spirit's God. Hashem, the name. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because we love him. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. There are a few stronger places or ways that we could point to the exclusivity of Jesus. It's not many paths up one mountain. It's Jesus alone, to God the Father alone, period. And honestly, we get really uncomfortable in Seattle saying these things because we feel like, well, you know, somebody else has an opinion on these things. I'm telling you, sometimes people's opinions are wrong. My grandmother, Evelyn Pack, till the day she died, read the Inquirer. Did they even make the Inquirer anymore? The Inquirer is pretty much a magazine where they just made up stuff about famous people. I think it's probably still out there. Somebody's probably still reading it. And people would say to my grandma, say, Grandma Ev, please don't read that. They're just making stuff up. And she'd say, they wouldn't put in the paper if it wasn't true. And I think we can have that sense, well, well, they wouldn't write the Tibetan Book of the Dead if it wasn't true. People's opinions are wrong. You can have a wrong opinion about gravity. You can have a wrong opinion about God. It's not loving to just abide with these wrong opinions when we understand the consequences, but important to tell people in a winsome, loving, kind, gracious, and straightforward way who God is. And what's amazing, friends, 
I think in Seattle we have a unique opportunity. I call it curiosity evangelism. Curiosity evangelism is when somebody believes something different than you, rather than just shouting them down, you get curious. My wife, who's in the room, is gifted at this. She just asks, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? Well, what do you think about this? And she asks all these questions until they're like, you're right. What? Why do I think that about that? Well, what do you think about that? And then they curiosity evangelism you back. Well, I think this about Jesus. And I think this about the gospel. And I don't think you earn your way to God. I think God has come down to get to us. And there's nothing we can do to earn his love, but he's done it in our place. No, I, I don't believe in karma because karma is about justice and everyone gets even Stephen. And if everyone gets even Stephen, it goes poorly for everybody. I believe God isn't even Stephen. I believe Jesus took all that stuff, the bad karma, so to speak, on his shoulders. It's not karma. We don't use that word, just for the record. He took all that stuff that I did and you did on his shoulders so that he would die and you would have life. That is the grace of God. You've done nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to keep it. It is all solely the work of Jesus. And that's why we love to say Jesus a lot. Let's keep going. Um, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. They've told them the truth. But the word that is written, he's evidenced the truth, he's Messiah. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause, the only innocent man who ever lived. The only one who has no reason for anyone not to like him. I hated him without cause. The only innocent man who ever lived dies as a criminal. The only innocent man who ever lived is thrown out by the authorities. He's the, he's the only innocent one, even the thief on the cross. Remember what he says? Two guys on the cross, one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. One thief says to the other thief, after he's been making fun of Jesus and wakes up, this is Messiah, this is God, this is the Savior who's being crucified, says to the other thief who's making fun of him, hey, we belong here, man. You know it, I know it, we belong here. We would like to not be here, we would have liked to have gotten away, but you and I belong here and he doesn't. He says amazing things to Jesus though. Remember me in your kingdom. You want to talk about the gospel? Jesus' next words are the gospel. What does he say to him? Do you know? Today, you will be with me in paradise. You want evidence of the gospel? You want evidence that the gospel is something you cannot earn? All he did was die. He didn't get off the cross. He didn't stop watching R-rated plays. He didn't slow down his chariot. He didn't do anything but die. And he entered paradise with Jesus. 16, 26, pardon me. But when the helper comes, oh, it gets good here. Whew. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So when you hear things like, oh, curiosity evangelism, I should, I should take notes. And if you're taking notes, I'm not picking on you. I should take notes. And I should figure it out. And I should get a method. And I got this coworker. I'm going to have to see him tomorrow. What am I going to say to him? How am I going to work it out? I got to convince him. Friends, Church, 
You go as an ambassador. You go from the embassy of Jesus, but the one who does the work is the Spirit. The one who does the saving is the Christ. Hopefully, our life, lived in the purity of the Bible in response to the gospel, is the stage for our proclamation that Jesus, Jesus saves sinners from death to life. But at the end of the day, you, friends, are not a lifeboat. The metaphor is going to break down, by the way. Jesus. Jesus is the lifeboat. You, friends, church, you're the guys who has the ship sinking and nobody even realizes the ship sinking. It's like, get on the lifeboat. Get on the lifeboat. It's a good lifeboat. I like this lifeboat. I've gotten in the lifeboat. You should get in the lifeboat. Come on, get in the lifeboat. Come on. And what's amazing is the Holy Spirit empowers the come on. As high as I can go. But the lifeboat's Jesus. The one who saves us in the stormy gale is not whether or not you took in Tim Keller's uh, The Reason for God. That didn't work. Uh, Cornelius Van Til's uh, uh, Christian Apologetics. That didn't work. Uh, okay, uh, uh, John Owen. Let's go to John Owen. Maybe John Owen can do it. And I remembered it. I made note cards, and I told him, and I made the argument. I showed him. I took the thing apart, and I cut down all the trees, and I did all these things, and they still didn't love Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who does the work. It's Jesus who does the saving. And it's our job to just point to the cross and say, there's room, there's room, there's room, there's room. Our life reflects in our purity that we've gotten in the lifeboat, our proclamation. This is the truth. Come on in. Okay? This is the uh, Luke, what is it, Luke 12. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about when they pull you in front of the court. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. He's going to teach you what to say. What great confidence we can have in God and what he's called us to as witnesses to the city and to the world. It's not about you being smart. It's about you leaning into the truth. I had a friend once tell me he was in, uh, he was in Campus Crusade. And they had the four, I don't even know what they are. They had the four things, right? The four spiritual laws or whatever. And he literally sat on a bus my guy said, well, what do you know about Jesus? And he just literally read them the thing that people make fun of all the time, by the way. By the time he was re done reading Four Spiritual Laws, the guy said, all right, I'm in. Got saved on the bus, reading the Four Spiritual Laws. I'm in. I know a guy who got saved reading a chick track that he found on a bathroom floor. Right? That's weird and awesome. Because God works in amazing and awesome ways. Let's keep going. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. So when they crank up the heat, you believe what about what? This isn't, this isn't the doctrine and the mandate for a culture war. This is a doctrine and a mandate for confidence in Christ who is so treated before we were treated. That we would trust him. We would trust him. And we would know that in his sovereignty, he saw this coming because of your purity and your proclamation. They will put you out of the synagogues. Oh, wait, he just switched it up. Surprise. They will put you out of the synagogues. So now we're talking about people who are church folk. We're talking about people who are the people of God or claiming to be. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. We see this in Isaiah 66, verse 5. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them 
to you. So there's going to be hostility from without. There's going to be hostility from within. So how do we navigate this? If this is what we know to be true, if this is what we've got, if this is what Jesus has told us, how do we navigate this hostility about our proclamation or our purity, the hostility that comes from without or within? Uh, three things. Verse one, or first one. Number one, trust the Spirit. Be empowered by God. It's not out of your own strength that you handle these things. It's not out of your own strength that you look these things. It's not out of your own strength that you do these things. It's out of God's strength. And that's good news. Number two, trust the Christ. It's all going to be a duh, by the way. Trust the Spirit. Trust the Christ. Trust Him. He said it was coming. We're, we're not, we shouldn't be surprised. And, and it's not, and I'm not meaning to even like rag on the book of Revelation. But sometimes we can look forward and say, man, the, the book of Revelation says heavy stuff is coming. New Left Behind movie out says heavy stuff is coming. Nicolas Cage says heavy stuff is coming. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely believe it. I, I believe it. Heavy stuff is coming at some point in time. But they also thought that in 476 when Rome fell. They thought, oh, this is it. This is the book of Revelation. The reality is Jesus promised the heavy stuff is coming for all of us all of our lives, if we're following Jesus, if we're living in his purity, if we're living in his proclamation, it's coming for all of us, every one of us, heavy stuff is coming. And at the same time, we need to remember that what he's given us in that, right? So now's not the time to build a bunker, you know, cut yourself off from culture, because it turns out, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, when we totally remove ourselves from culture, and I'm only going to hang out with Christians, Keep that sin out there and just the Christians in here. Turns out there's still people in here, right? People who are sinners who need to repent and turn and love and all those wonderful things, right? But they say, oh, okay, so I got I to gotta call myself off and just make it my, build my homestead and just my family. Turns out there's still people there. And even if I live as a hermit by myself, uh, as the great Egyptian monks did, up on a pole by myself away from everybody, which actually happened, which is really weird, uh, turns out I'm still up on top of the pole in the desert, by myself, with my sin. Okay? But we trust Jesus and we remember the power of the gospel in the midst of all these things. Number three, we trust the Bible. We trust the message and we trust the methods. We trust what it said. It's coming. We trust what it said. It's going to happen. We trust the message and the power. Man, if you're not a Christian here today, I'm pleading with you. If you don't care about anything I've said today, if you even think everything I said was dumb, take one of the Bibles on your way out, start Matthew and just start reading. Please. The message of the gospel. We trust our message. The gospel message is unique amongst every, every, every message. Everybody else, whether it's secular or religious, is trying to show everybody else how to get up to salvation, how to get up to God, how to get up to health and wealth, how to get up to fame, how to get up, 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 how you climb up the ladder and you do it like Batman. You ever notice that Batman? He did it all. Everybody likes him because he's just a person, but it's really the story of the guy climbing up. Maybe just me. Okay, that's fine. The gospel is the only message about God coming down to rescue us. 
The gospel is the only message that says we're empty-handed, we stay empty-handed, we live empty-handed, and God came down to give to us. God came down to save us. God came down to forgive us. And let us never forget that God came down to give us life, which means, yes, we live this life of purity. Yes, we live a life in response to the gospel. But that life is not lived so God will love us and get us, give us a good report card. I obey Jesus because I trust him, and I know he loves me, and I know he knows way better than I do about my own life. I've learned that one the hard way many a times. Maybe that's just me. We also trust the Bible's message. We even saw it in Luke. How do we respond to hostility? We turn the other cheek. How, how do we respond uh, you know, to the, the anti-theist writing his nasty, nasty blogs? Well, if we respond at all, we do so winsomely, kindly, and graciously. But really, we turn the other cheek. We keep the right thing the right thing because we can get really distracted. And this is the world's trick, too. We can be so opposed to people who are opposed to us that we forget to tell people what we're actually about. What we are about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We walk the second mile. We open not our mouth. We turn the other cheek. And we proclaim the truth. And we put one foot in front of the other. If you don't know Jesus, this is it. It's unique. Of course, it's a great day to come because sometimes you can hear, here's the good news. Come on into this wonderful thing and this wonderful life with God. It's a good day if you're not a Christian because I want you to know there's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to loving Jesus, and there's a cost to following Jesus. I don't know, Zach, if you're singing it today, but Zach sings a song, The World Behind Me, The Cross Before Me. Right? The world behind, there's a cost. And people don't like it when you put the world behind you and the cross before you and get after following Jesus. But here's the deal, it's worth it world is worth nothing compared to Jesus, because here's what you get in Jesus. Yeah, you get heat, but you get everything. In Jesus, you get God. God's come down to get to you. In the gospel, you get Jesus forever. The whole point of Christianity, the whole point of the gospel, is that you and I would love and enjoy Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, to the glory of God the Father, forever. It's about forever joy in the glory of God, pointing to the weight of His beauty forever. And if you are a Christian today, are you relying on the Spirit and the Christ and the Word? Is this how we're operating in the world in the Scripture? Are we walking arm in arm? Are we friends with the world? We turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus and we live. Let's pray. Jesus, I do thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that we can do things differently as a church. I thank you that we can do things for your glory and in your ways. I thank you that you even told us the world's going to hate us. And I pray that we respond to the world that hates us the way that you respond to the world that hated you. And that's love. That's grace. That's mercy. That's turning the other cheek. That's going the second mile. That's proclaiming the truth about God. That's making much of the name of Jesus in the world. Help us to be, yeah, drive a Prius and have some chickens. But help us to do it to your glory. And even as we live like Seattleites, we would point to who you are and your grace and your wonder and your beauty. And I just pray, Lord, for our church that you would glorify your holy name through this people. That we would be a people who would grow in the gospel. That we'd grow in trust and in love for who you are and what you've said, Jesus. That we'd forget the report cards and we just live with a white hot passion to enjoy you and to know you and to love you even in the midst of the heat. And even that you would use the heat in our lives to push us to your glory and us to leaning in on you, to us 
trust in our dependence on you and us in boldness in the gospel of who you are, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you chose us from out from the world and help us. You never, we never forget that you did that for your glory and for our joy and nothing we did to earn it. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Glorify your holy name. Pray these things, Jesus, for your name, for your glory, and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen.